welcome to episode 104 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppHack.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I attempt to increase the zombie population while taking down Kaiju and giving our WWDC predictions. How you doing tonight, Trevor? I'm doing good. I love WWDC time of the year and get to preview because... The cool thing about this week is that everything's possible. You know, after next week, we know definitively what we have. Yeah, right now, the sky's the limit until we realize our disappointment or joy it surprises. Right. And so before we get to WWDC, Apple gave us another surprise new product announcement with the brand new 7th generation iPod Touch, which has long been rumored in the works. And there's been speculation that it's going to go with an all kind of iPhone X style all screen design. But it turns out it's the same exact as the 6th generation. They just put the new A10 Fusion chip inside. And by new A10 Fusion chip, we're talking about the 2016 iPhone 7 7 Plus chip. Like, this is not uh, a new chip whatsoever. Uh, It's kind of, I, I don't know, this is kind of, we we felt like we needed to update it because we want to be able to support iOS 13 on this device, uh, and we're probably not going to support it on the previous gen, so we're just going to give it a slight processor bump, and uh, then we're good to go, I guess. Yeah, it still only costs $199, so if you want an iOS 13-specific device without, you know, getting a phone plan or iPad price, there's an iPod Touch for you, though keep in mind it's a 4-inch Retina display. So that's like going back to the dark ages when you're used to kind of the plus size or any other big phone. Oh, yeah. I mean, I go on my my daughters have the sixth gen. And if I go and try to, like, put in passwords for them to buy apps or anything, it feels like I'm typing on almost like my watch face at that point. <laughs> like, it's so tiny. My fingers feel huge on the screen. And I don't know how I use something like this so much because it feels very awkward to use it. Uh, and one thing I should mention is that 199 is only for 32 gigs of storage if you want 128 it's going to cost you 299 or 256 it's going to cost you 399 and where this is usually like a music or gaming or movie type of device for kids you really going to want to go high end on that space otherwise they're going to fill it up pretty quickly and of course you can always just jump up to the iPad mini size it's or even that lower end 9.7 inch iPad Pro starts at like 329 Right, yeah, I and mean, unless they need something that's really portable to carry around, you might be better off jumping to an iPad. If you're just getting a device for them to play games and stuff on, it's really more for that portability uh, that you might want to go with the iPod. And it kind of fits in with the trend this year of Apple kind of giving us less than we could hope for. So we had the cool MacBook Pros, which pretty much didn't do anything. They updated the processors on essentially the 15-inch, And then they have this new iPod Touch. They gave us a two-year-old or three-year-old processor. And then, of course, we had that awesome March media event where we got to hear about the new Apple TV Plus plan, and that's coming way in the future. Apple Arcade, that's coming way in the future. They launched news, which was underwhelming at best. And now it's time for WWDC. And is it going to fit into that line of kind of ambiguous, ambivalent releases from Apple? Hopefully not. I mean, they have kept everything pretty much close to the vest this time around. I feel like we got very little information leaking out. A few things just in the last 24 hours or so, but otherwise it's been pretty quiet and they've kind of kept nice secrets, I'm hoping, or it's just nothing to tell. I I don't know which. I'm hoping it's secrets. Right. So if you're keeping track at home, WWDC 2019 keynote is going to be on June 3rd. It's a Monday, 10 a.m. You can watch it live and stream along with all the other developers because this is the keynote for their developer conference. They're going to show off iOS 13, macOS 10.15, and watchOS 6 so developers see all the new types of ways they can interact with the software so they can make their own apps work the best on all these potential new features. Right, yeah, if you've never watched this before, normally they do some highlight features, and then you'll see, like, these screens pop up behind them that list a whole bunch of other things they don't necessarily talk about, and usually, sometimes there's, like, some nice, cool things in that, but 
it's kind of rushed usually, and we get a very limited number of things. So it's it'll be curious to see what things they decide to highlight in this this time around. Right, and so screenshots are leaking, and reported inside information is leaking mainly from Nine to Five Mac and Bloomberg. And through all of it, it seems like they're kind of those extra add-on features where you get that big panel and there's a hundred little things listed behind Craig Federici and you're like, oh, that's neat or that's neat. I, I could see myself maybe using that. But there's no real meat and potatoes features of iOS 13 at this point. And the same goes for Mac OS 10.15 and watchOS 6. I don't see a big kind of you know, we have our eight big new features of our software. Here they are. There's little icons and we're going to go feature by feature and talk in depth about them. I don't see single one of those features at this point. Uh, right. I mean, last year was all about let's sure things up. Let's make it better. Let's make it faster. This was supposed to be the year that we're going to get all kinds of new stuff. And I'm just surprised nothing is leaked. And I'm I'm just nervous at this point because nothing is leaked, uh, especially like watch OS six. We've heard absolutely nothing about it there's absolutely no rumors out there nothing whatsoever it's kind of curious that this there's such a lack of information a week out it's impressive for apple or it's like you said they don't have anything there's nothing really to leak and there's definitely (laughs) (laughs) reason for concern on the latter side of that so from what we do have leaked the big kind of thing is dark mode because we brought it to the Mac, we're bringing it to the iPhone, and oh my god, everybody's going to blow their minds. Well, they're collectively not going to. That's kind of a minor feature at best. So if dark mode's your biggest leak that's come out so far, hopefully there's something bigger than that that hasn't leaked. Well, we also got the new Reminders app has right. <laughs> been leaked as well. So those are two huge things right off my bucket list. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. In dark mode, I did turn it on in my Mac, and it's okay. I can't, I don't know. It'd be nice at night on my on my iPhone, but I kind of like having some brightness to things. So, I, I don't know. It's one of these, I don't, people make a big deal of it. Some people are way too into this. Other people, eh, who really cares? So, if you're in the camp of who really cares, then, yeah, you're like, Apple, what are you going to do for me this time? And that's really the big question. So we'll kind of go in order of the different softwares. For iOS 13, well, actually, I guess before we get there, Apple sent out invites to all the members of the press who are going to be able to attend of the, you know, we go in-depth on those invites to attend this keynote. And this year there was five different versions, and they're all basically the same. It's kind of these neon-outlined versions of Animojis. So they have the unicorn, the monkey the skull, the robot, and the alien. And all of their minds are exploding with various icons from Apple's different, like whether they're emojis or icons for the App Store or Test Flight. It's all just a burst of that. And there's really not much to gather from these. Like usually I have these weird kind of schemes of what it could possibly hint at, but this seems pretty straightforward of we got developer specific tools and here's little icons and maybe we'll have new emojis built off of that. Right. I mean, we see like a, a toggle button. We see the Swift icon. We see a arcade stuff, probably for the arcade, which is like a joystick. And then there's a bowling pin. Uh, there's the app store little icon for the from from it from from on your phone the app store there's a camera i mean it's nothing really hints towards anything major or different i mean it's the type of stuff that we've seen uh, the only thing could be because there's five of these and we already had talked about the rumor about them splitting up itunes into multiple different apps maybe that's part of it one has a musical note uh so maybe this is kind of hinting towards that where the it's going to be all these separate apps instead of this one universal iTunes thing that's going away. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't, there's nothing, pardon the pun, mind-blowing about these <laughs> these uh, invites. It just kind of seems almost matter-of-fact, not, not a lot of new information here. And Apple has been going that way with their invites recently, and so I guess I definitely can't complain about that, but it also gives us more to kind of question and wonder what they're going to do with this new update. And, you know, when you go through the list of what's supposedly leaked, they're all kind of things that I think I could just make up 
and it would sound legitimate or realistic. Like, we're going to improve the Reminders app. We're going to improve the Apple Books app so people read more. We're going to improve Mail. We're going to improve Safari, you know, with these little things here and little things. Yeah, guess what? Apple's going to update their stock apps just like they do every year. We're going to, you know, change the volume UI so it doesn't overcome the whole screen. It's like a little slider at the top of the screen. Oh, okay. That, that's probably the biggest feature of iOS 13. Craig Federici, <laughs> let's show how this new volume slider works. <laughs> I could totally see him getting up there. He's like, ooh, and when you go down, the volume goes down. When you go up, the volume goes up. But yeah, I mean, the stock apps, every year, Apple updates, and they basically steal features from third-party apps that everyone loves, implement it their own way, sometimes okay, sometimes not as good, uh, but you're kind of stuck with the stock apps. You can't have it auto-launch the non-stock apps. So it's kind of nice that some of these features come. We know that Mail is probably going to finally have something that allows you to read things later because every other third-party Mail app seems to do that now. Uh, there'll be speed increases, and it's going to be faster. Of course it will be. This will be the fastest iOS ever, obviously. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. The only things I guess on my actual wish list is I really hope that they improve screen time, not just the rumored where now they can limit when kid, who kids are contacting and at which specific times they can use it. They really need to make this much more granular, allowing you to limit time on certain apps, not just groupings of apps really have a much more granular amount of time that you can grant a kid rather than give him like 15 30 i think it's 15 an hour or like all day like it's way not enough granularity there and then also just be able to like give them rewards of time not have to change the downtime like say the it's a weekend so you want to give them a little bit more time so have a late bed night uh late bedtime kind of option to add a little more time to their downtime so just look to what other people are doing, like Circle and those, and kind of copy it. That's what Apple's good at, is looking what's out there and making their version of it. And screen time is just, it was it's a nice feature to have. It just really needs a lot more attention to give how parents actually use it. Yeah, that's something I do not use, but I can definitely see the value of kind of tweaking it and improving upon it. For me, I think the only thing is kind of, something Apple's never going to include on iOS, and it's a Finder-style file system management where you could open multiple tabs and go through the whole file system of your iPad or iPhone. And it seems like the iPad is the one that would most need it because they keep pitching it iPad Pro. It's this Pro. You know, it's a computer replacement. It can do all this capable stuff. But you know that new, you know, multitasking thing they added and you can bring up the dock and stuff? It's such a hassle to get set up. I don't even want to bother with it. Like, it's so neat I, and yeah. promise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so annoying. Like, half the time, I can't even figure out how to get rid of this stupid oh, thing once God, it I is up. I can never get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, like, I think I got rid of it, and I bring back the app that was the one I dragged over to the side, and now all of a sudden it shows up inside, not in the full screen, and I can't figure out how to get it back. Yeah, so really that needs more attention. I've heard rumors about maybe a way to like drag on items onto the screen almost like a desktop where you could drag them but who knows that's probably just someone's wish list not an actual real rumor there's rumors of like a usb mouse support so you'd actually be able to use a real mouse with the ipad pro but who knows uh, i mean a lot of this stuff is still kind of questions of like are these real things people are hearing or are they kind of let's throw it out there and maybe apple will think people all want this and maybe they'll add some of these things but at this point, iOS 13 is really still just a giant question mark. And I, I don't know. I, I'm leading, I'm setting myself up for disappointment, <laughs> but I'm really hoping I'm not. Right. Like, I think the only thing that maybe is what they're actually working on is to have multiple windows within a given app. But even then, that sounds too complex for the iPad screen, even if you had like a whole depth effect, kind of like that cover flow in Safari. But you know, you have multiple windows open of and pages or whatever. I just it seems way too convoluted for what they're trying to do with the screen on the iPad, especially since multitasking is already too convoluted as is. I couldn't imagine you have pages on the right hand side of your browser or of your window. And then within it, there's multiple windows depth into that pages window. It, it's 
It's not going to work. No. Okay, just no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it'd have to only be on iPads. It would really only work well on the largest screened iPad. And, I mean, you're not going to segment things like that. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else there could be. I mean... They're going to have that, you know, duet display where you're, it's built in for your iPad to be a second screen for your monitor, kind of improvements to that. And then I think okay, your yeah. iPhone could be a trackpad for your computer. You know, they're making it more kind of accessories for your computer. Right. I mean, I guess, are we going to see those cross-platform apps finally surface? The ones we kind of got hinted at uh, previously where they brought some of the iPad apps to the Mac and they were going to have an easy way to bring your Mac apps to the iPad. Uh, I don't know. I think that's finally going to see that. Right. I don't know. Is that going to be this year? Is that going to be next year? I I don't know if that's going to come to fruition. I mean, that was two years ago we saw that or was that last year? I I can't remember. I think they're going to give the developer tools this year. So that's kind of a Mac OS 10.15 type of idea. Here's the developer tools to make your iPads work on the Mac, make your Mac apps work on the iPad. And then I think the big rollout next year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to be a user based release this year. Yeah. And I guess speaking of 10.15, the only thing I'm pretty interested in is what they name it, which California topic and city or location (laughs) they come up with, because I have no idea what they're going to add to the Mac. Last year with Mojave, they added dark mode, and I couldn't tell you one other thing they added to Mojave now that I'm actually running it, because my 2011 MacBook Air didn't work with Mojave. I got a new computer, I dive into Mojave, and I couldn't tell you anything that's different other than the dynamic wallpaper that changes through the day and the dark mode. Wasn't there, like, previews of things, of items? Like, you could somehow preview them without actually opening them? I don't know. I, I, I have I no clue. Mac is use pretty a lot solid of right now. Yeah, I use what I use. I don't... If it's not something that falls into my workflow, I don't tend to use it. Right, and so with the California naming scheme, though... So it's Mojave, and, you know, that was supposedly a big release. You know, they did Sierra, High Sierra. And so do they go and kind of build on that idea with a version of Mojave. But then you see what names they've actually trademarked that are based on California cities or locations. And really all they have is Mammoth, Monterey, Rincon, and Skyline. And the last two, I've never even heard of. I've lived in California my entire life. Those are like, no. So that means it's the first two. And Mammoth is a mountain. So you go from Mojave Desert up to Mammoth Mountain. It would work better if it was tied to the Sierra Nevadas and the whole High Sierra kind of idea. So I don't know if they do that. And then there's the Monterey, which is the ocean or the beach, however you want to call it. So you go from the desert to the ocean. Both indicate a big change, not a subtle change. You know, it's not like we're going to high Mojave or whatever. We're not going to low Mojave. We're going from the desert. Dry Mojave. Yeah, (laughs) dry Mojave. That's when they have no features at all. (laughs) So I'm hoping that maybe this means we're going to the ocean or we're going up to the mountains. It's a big leap for the Mac, but... On the flip side, the Mac is a stable and very mature operating system, and I don't know what is really left to change on it other than minor kind of under-the-hood enhancements. Right. I mean, if we look at those patents that they have or those trademarks that they have, Rincon, supposedly that is almost, they've almost lost that trademark. It's going to end in August of this year. So... That would be the only reason I would lean towards that one if they wanted to be able to keep that trademark, because I guess they already had their final extension. So this is use it or lose it time. So either they do something with Rincon, even though I've never even heard of Rincon, uh, but apparently it's a popular surfing area in Southern California. It's definitely not. So, <laughs> <laughs> And so I don't know. I, I mean, I'd rather ha- see like Monterey or something that I've actually heard of, but I don't know. And like you, I don't know what they're going to add. They they don't. It's getting tougher and tougher for them to come out with a whole list of splashy new features every single year and um, and actually useful features. I mean, I'm sure they could come up with a lot of crap. And last year they had their their <laughs> safari like uh, favicons on there. Like, ooh, oh, boy. I'm like, I so. At this point, what are they really going to add? There's not a lot that I can think of that they they would they would really excite. Well, I guess if Favicons excite people, then who knows? They'd come up with an easy list of stuff, but nothing really big and major. Right. I think macOS is probably the toughest, just because 
we can't think of anything. Like, I'm sure there's really heavy-duty pro enhancements that people want, but day-to-day general user kind of things, Apple's covered a lot of it, and I don't think there's anything really that Windows is doing with Windows 10 that Apple would like to adopt either. Yeah, I mean, all, all it would be was stock app, like, improvements, and even those, I would have thought we would have heard some rumors about that stuff because we that's all the kind of stuff we're even hearing on iOS at this point. And then, like you mentioned already, watch OS 6. There's nothing at all. You know, there's people throwing out the things like, oh, they'll add calculator or voice memos to the watch because they added them to Mac and iPad last year. Okay, cool. That's not really a rumor or anything. That's just you speculating based on last year. To actually do something, change the watch, is really sparse at all because you could always say they're going to add new watch faces, they're going to add new complications. Well, yeah, they've done that every year. But something that changes the usability of the watch, the only thing I can think of is built-in sleep tracking and not relying on third-party apps or, you know, build-out complications so third-party developers aren't so hit and miss because there's a lot of complications that don't even work with the new watch faces from Watch uh, Series 4. So... That that's kind of you know the new utility watch faces the old complications only work on the old watch faces and developers haven't even updated them. Yeah, I mean the only other one that I they've have heard a a rumor about is that maybe they'll give LTE streaming access to third party apps. So like other things like Spotify and Overcast be able to stream content uh, and be able to do the same thing basically that Apple Music is doing. Because right now, only Apple Music can can do that on the watch. So if you have an LTE watch and want to just stream your content, you have to use Apple Music. You can't use one of these other third-party apps. So unless they do something like that... Uh, I don't, I really can't think of anything. It's more of a, the physical watch. I can think of some ideas, Mm -hmm. but not the OS of what they could really improve at that point. Yeah, I feel exactly the same because I can see what they're going to do with watch OS series five to actually do a physical change. And then it's kind of inversed on the iPhone where hardware wise on the iPhone, I really don't care if they increase the processor. There's nothing really left to do with the phone, I guess, except make it thinner or glassier or whatever have you. It's really a software <laughs> thing. But then, again, the software isn't really the limitation on the phone right now. Right. If anything, the limitation on the phone is battery life. And mm-hmm. it's the same with the watch. Yep. The watch, it's battery life. It really, that's the one thing they should be investing a lot of money in, is figuring out how to make better batteries that are just as thin that can last twice as long. Or three times as long like that's where you should be investing your money that's what most people care about when you can't change the battery in these things in these devices you're stuck with the one that's in there make the battery life better and people are going to really want to buy a new device if they know this battery life is twice as long as the previous one there's only so much you can do with the software to improve battery life it's really going to come down to hardware to improve that battery life And then I think the only other thing is, do we get details on Apple Arcade and Apple TV Plus? I think we're going to have to. Now that Disney threw down the gauntlet, they have the pricing. Now that we know Disney's going to be buying out Hulu, the entire 100% own all of Hulu, Disney, I mean, Apple really has to compete in this area. And this is when they have to really get people starting to, to be excited about. The app was already out for Apple TV. Get people excited to want to sign up for this. We need pricing. We need bundles. We need to know what the Apple Arcade is, how much that's going to cost. And I think this is the area for them to start announcing, especially if they want developers to start working on things to to assist with Apple Arcade. Uh, although I guess they already have their group of 100 developers that are developing all the initial apps. But to get other developers excited about continuing on after that initial set comes out we need details we need to know how this is going to work how the share is going to break down for developers and this is the conference to do it at yeah and i mean you summed it all up that that was pretty much everything i was going to (laughs) say i really because 
the Apple TV Plus, you know, you have like eight shows or whatever stupid small amount they have that's going to absolutely totally fail right on launch. But regardless, you need to tell us how much that is going to cost. Or are you going to do it week by week to draw it out because you have hardly any content? Are you going to say, you know, once Disney showed this off, we're like, you know, we can't compete with the whole catalog of Marvel and Star Wars and Disney films and Pixar plus the Simpsons and all that. So we said, you know what, we're giving up. <laughs> we're give, or are they going to give it away for free with the, if you're using an iOS device? I or are they going to have some kind of advertising to support it? I, I don't know. We need these details at this point. Otherwise, people are going to be signing up for for Disney Plus and just forgetting about you. You really need to have this in the consciousness. People need to know about it and know what to plan for because if they make their decisions of these are the things I'm going to subscribe to and that's my money, that's my subscription services, that's all I'm doing it doesn't matter if you're late to the game and don't have any kind of pricing or don't kind of get people excited about this we got so little information about the Apple TV, like we didn't even see video clips, are we going to finally see some clips of these shows? Like, I don't know I don't either, like Apple Arcade at least they had video clips of the games they were going to come out with. They have the details of the developers. You can see their pedigree and their history and how everything's going to go together. And you have a big chunk. 100 games is a lot. And then there was the promise that it's going to be keep updating. We don't know how that's going to play out of being keep updating and if the developers are going to participate after that initial wave of signups. So those are all question marks, like you said, to be answered at a developer's conference. But the Apple TV Plus that doesn't really relate to developers. It's just a service that's struggling and it hasn't even launched yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, uh, well, I guess sort of related to this. I'm wondering if the, we're going to see new specs for a uh, uh, physical controller. So we we had the old specs that they they made the all the, the existing controllers with, but if they need more buttons or more... Uh, just different versions of these controllers to support all these different games. Are we going to see like a new updated spec for how developers have to program for these for these different controllers? I, I don't know. Or Apple going to come out with an official controller? They need this to. is still. I mean, this is the the time to do it. We're in the developers conference. These are the people that have to develop these things. I, I more details. We just need more more details. Yep, and so. Again, we're speculating based on other people's speculation who are actually speculating <laughs> based on last year, and they really have no insights this year. So all the pretty much Apple community is pretty unaware of what's going to come out next week, and that might be A, Apple's keeping tight lips on things, or B, Apple has nothing to potentially leak because the updates suck. So let's hope it's A, <laughs> it might be B, and that's our WWDC preview. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and before we get to WWDC next week, of course, there's new games you can play this week to bide your time until then. And so the first one is Zombie Night Terror, which kind of fits in the line of these games that we both kind of like. So there was Party Hard Go, and then there's other versions like that. But the idea is kind of let your sadistic side win out and let the villain win. So in this case you get to kind of oversee a zombie outbreak. So you get to particularly pick uh, specific people in the environment to infect with the zombie virus, and then they'll spread outwards and infect more people by biting them, and then you have this whole zombie horde, and you need to go through these different scenarios to kind of guide the zombies you know, up the stairs, through these specific doors, to get everybody. So your ultimate goal in each level is to infect everybody. You can pass the level with just a certain number of people infected, but of course you want to make sure you get that perfect star for to complete a level and go on through this storyline. Yeah, so this is basically and essentially a lemmings for goth people, or lemmings that people that like dark content, because it's set up in a very similar way. So as the, the story progresses, it's basically this evil doctor who's created this this drug that he goes out and tries to sell. To Basically, it infects people and mutates them into zombies, and then they want to start biting each other. And it's, it's almost kind of got a little essence of sneezies as well, because you're choosing, you have limited resources of how many of these injections you can shoot in, and those are basically the people you're going to infect that start the whole chain reaction. But the problem is there's people with guns, there's people with bats, and they're going to try to take out these zombies before they can bite and infect other people. So you have to kind of pick and choose and infect the right people. Like, 
take out the people with the guns so that way they're not shooting them. And then you kind of have to spread out where you're putting in the the drug because you want to make sure that it's just not all concentrated in one place that you can start to have multiple hordes kind of converge on each other and just start infecting out large areas of people. And so it's it's going to take a little bit of trial and error as you go through. And as the story progresses, you start to get these new different types of zombies. So you start out just with that basic in, inject someone, infect them and they move. Then you get this kind of like overlord type where you can kind of freeze a person. So that helps you to like they you point which direction they kind of guide all the zombies to go in this keeps them from like falling off ledges very lemmings like and that way you can kind of get them to go exactly where you want and guide them towards masses of people to infect more and more people and so this style has been done before you know there was infect them all i used to like that game way in the past but it was more of a top-down kind of idea and it was cartoonish you really spread that infection relatively quick. And then there's going to be like 500 people more in, like you said, that sneezy style. But then there's also kind of the connection to Plague Inc where you're spreading a virus, but now you get to see it in this 2d pixel version and it's all starts from this movie theater. So it kind of almost puts you into night of the living dead, but you're controlling kind of the outbreak. So that's really neat story wise. And then as you go, like you said, you get those new types of zombies, you get the new types of people you need to infect, and it just amps up the strategy and difficulty of placing your virus in the best possible position in each of these different building or city layouts. Right, and you're going to have to retry these over and over again. And it's the story element that really helps drive this and make it a much more interesting uh, entertaining game. And the way they've set it up is they do an excellent job of giving you like these the entertaining almost like animated sequences where they give you more of the story but it also acts as a tutorial to teach you how this new zombie type works so you kind of get to interactively learn how to use this thing and then you're dropped into the level where now you have to use it for real to help hopefully win beat the level the one thing that is a little uh confusing at first is you don't necessarily know that you have to scroll to uh see the entire level at first so it almost looks like it's all taking place in this one little screen you're sitting there and like i don't know where all they're going and why i haven't won yet everyone's infected but you really have to slide the screen over and then you'll see that there's a lot more to these levels that are pretty large and there's areas where you have to get a certain number of zombies onto like a platform and once that many get on it'll drop through and break and then they'll drop down to the next floor in the building and so there's a lot of strategy and kind of trial and error which if you've ever played lemmings it was similar where you start to go and you learn you like, oh man, if I had only put him there and that one there, I could have had this level. And so then you have to start over and do it all over again. It's just uh, a lot of learning and strategy. And as you kind of go through the story, you'll figure it out as you go. And if you liked games like Party Hard Go or Death Coming, or like I said, Infect Them All, any kind of that where you play kind of destroying the human race, essentially, you're going to be right at home with this type of game. They all play out differently. <laughs> they all have their own strategy things, but they carry that element of wanting to see the villain win or the bad guy win. And it's just a different perspective that keeps you fully engaged because each one has their own kind of unique story to give you incentive to wanting to see the world end or the bad things happen. Yeah, it's one of those where you feel kind of dirty that you actually are enjoying this, but I quite enjoyed it. I, I I'm I really, <laughs> I it's it's uh, it comes it comes from PC, and there are elements of that where stuff almost seems a little too small on the screen at times, uh, especially on an iPhone screen. But this has phenomenal, works great iCloud syncing like instantly across devices, and. Uh, I highly recommend this one. This was probably the highlight of the week for me. Well, with that said, this that's not saying much, but we'll get there. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. It, it wasn't a tough week, but yes. Definitely. So that's Zombie Night Terror. It's $3.99. It's universal. And then up next is Archero, which is essentially Archer with an O on the end because it combines hero and Archer and all that kind of fun stuff. So this game... It's interesting because at first glance, it looks super simplistic and kind of a quick throwaway game, but it's actually kind of neat, kind of interesting. 
you have a single one-touch control scheme. You just drag your archer row around, and when they're still, they fire off arrows, and then you need to move them to dodge all kinds of various enemy attacks. And so as you go, the enemies are going to amp up in difficulty, but essentially the whole level is really small and self-contained. You'll face three or four different enemies, and then there'll be a door at the end. And they have all kinds of different waves of attacks, but you're just going to weave through it, find a safe spot, fire a few arrows, and then start weaving again until you destroy everything in this given area until you can move on to the next door, and then there's going to be boss battles, and you can get permanent level upgrades to your character. And as you go, you realize that you're going to restart at the beginning every time, which is always something that I don't like, but they kind of actually made it good, compelling in a way, because you see that there's 50 total levels for like the grasslands, and then you can unlock the next region of 50 levels. So you see that you want to make one consecutive run of 50 levels. And the reason you're restarting is you kind of get familiar with the enemy waves, but more importantly, you earn upgrades that are permanent upgrades. So it helps you really make that 50 level run. Yeah, I this was kind of an unassuming little title for me too. I I almost didn't even try it. It didn't look like it was that appealing or anything different. But it is actually pretty enjoyable. I I kind of went in with low expectations, but I found myself kind of just engaged by it and wanted to jump in. I like roguelikes. I like this these little dungeon crawling setups where you do have that get as far as you can. You eventually you're going to die. There's they just uh, overload you with enough stuff that there's no possible way you're going to be able to make it. Then you get those permanent upgrades that now make you stronger and hopefully better the next time through to hopefully make it further. And you just keep whittling away, whittling away, and hopefully eventually beat the game uh, once you've leveled up enough and made it through. The one uh, sticking point I, I did like how the uh, the in-game upgrades were all kind of randomized. The one spot I could see as a sticking point, it didn't affect me yet, was it does have this energy meter, which really kind of limits the number of times you can try right in a row. Otherwise, you have to wait for it to eventually charge back up. The uh, I've kind of just grown accustomed to not dealing with these. These are the type of games that I, I will drop because I, I don't want them telling me how much I can play. Uh, now Golf Blitz has really kind of soured me to this because that I get to play as much as I want. There's no ads, no time limits. If I want to wait for cards to unlock, then yeah, I'll wait for this external thing, but it's not limiting me from playing how I want to play at any time. This kind of, those energy meters kind of drive you away. There are these uh, in-game things that you can, like, free stuff you can wait for, but it's those energy meters that kind of drive you away that, I don't know, it, I, I don't tend to come back to games with energy meters because I feel like I played and now I have to wait. Yeah. I don't know about you. It's funny, though. First off, I just want to say I don't know how many weeks in a row you've got a Golf Blitz mention in, but credit to that. <laughs> I'm still playing. <laughs> I'm like at level 18 out of 50. I got to get to 50. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I definitely agree. One interesting part of Archer Road I noticed right at the start is that when you first load the game, your energy meter is at 35 of 20. So they specifically give you that bonus at the start to get you into the game. So that way you're then hooked because an energy meter of 20 when each time you run costs five that means you can only play four times until it has to replenish so it's definitely restrictive like you i haven't gotten to that point yet but just the potential of it sours you to the whole experience yeah and i and unfortunately it's it's a means for getting people to either buy in game things to replenish early or to force them to to do in-app purchases of some sort. And I think, I don't know, maybe I'm not in the norm, but it's not going to drive me to purchase a game. It's only more going to drive me to put it away and possibly never come back. And so I wish developers would kind of rethink this, although I really don't know what the best method is, because unless you have a game where I want to reward the developer by doing an in-app purchase, like I don't do in-app purchases, but I, I'll mention again, Golf Blitz. I, I bought uh, their little intro pack for a buck ninety-nine, gave you a little character and a little bit of intro currency because I wanted to support the developer. I knew I was going to play this thing a, a lot 
And so I wanted to support them in some manner. So I bought in that purchase. There was nothing I had to buy. I could have played as much as I want without buying anything. Uh, but I enjoying the game quite a bit, obviously. And I wanted to give them money. Uh, I don't know. Obviously, I don't do that with every game. But I don't know what the best method is. And maybe they do get people buying uh, to refuel energy meters but unfortunately that's one thing that just kind of detracts me from the game but otherwise it is a, a surprisingly fun game with i do like that whole pause to shoot because you have that whole risk reward do i how long do i sit here firing off and then i gotta move to avoid projectiles coming towards me but then i want to sit still as quickly as i can to start firing again because otherwise i'm not going to beat these enemies until i kill them all and the only way to do that is to stop moving so it is it does create this nice dichotomy where you're kind of fighting with yourself to figure out when do i stop moving when do i fire when do i move to avoid things and I, I thought that was enjoyable it's only really this energy meter that's kind of a sticking point yeah i i definitely agree because that risk reward is what makes it compelling the enemy types are nice and varied and the levels are so small that it really makes you focus on finding those safe spots but then moving as quick as possible you know if you want to just sit there and, oh i'm just gonna get like five shots and off in a row you're gonna die really quick because your health meter goes relatively quick based on the damage those enemies are firing at you. So essentially, you can't be really greedy at all. You get one shot, maybe two off, you got to move. Especially once you get past level 10. Or 10 is the first boss battle. After that, it, you're in for it. So be prepared. <laughs> Make sure you have those upgrades, those permanent upgrades, as quickly as you can. And then the in-game temporary upgrades, pick wisely. Because they're going to be, be yes. really important. Yeah, and they'll affect how you play, too, depending on what you're given for choices and what you pick. Like, if you pick the one that gives you arrows that shoot from behind you, then now you have a little bit more protection. But then maybe you pick the one that gives you more critical shots so you can take out enemies faster. So, you, yeah, you do have to be careful on how you pick those things uh, to hopefully power yourself up enough that you're going to be able to make it as far as possible before eventually you just can't recover that health there's not a lot of opportunities to recover health so once you've lost the health you've really got to avoid stop shoot avoid stop shoot as much as you can yep so that's archero it's free it's universal and then there's godzilla defense force hopefully you do know that godzilla king of the monsters or godzilla 2 is coming out this friday may 31st in the meantime you can play this quick throwaway ios game and <laughs> When I saw this game, I was like, I don't know what it's doing. I, I, I watched the trailer. I have no clue what's going on. So I'm just going to download it. And so it turns out it's a clicker game. I was surprised for it to be a clicker game. I haven't seen that or I haven't even cared to download many recently, probably over the past year. I've specifically avoided them. And there's some good clicker games. There's some bad clicker games. It really depends on what else is going around. And I actually kind of enjoyed this clicker game. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure why. That's probably my fault but it's fun all essentially you do is click to send out more troops to fight these various waves of smaller enemies and then as you go it becomes those big kaijus based on godzilla's lore from 1954 to present so there's all kinds of different ones that you're going to face in the first kind of wave of the game you face godzilla you beat godzilla and then you unlock him. So then you have this card where you can then play Godzilla as your defense as you go against these bigger and badder enemies. And it's amazing how varied the enemies are. Each of those kaijus are completely different, really. They're based on all these different films and movies. And you get the collectible cards once you defeat them. And I was just compelled to keep going to see which comes next. And you get that whole, I'm going to upgrade my base that spawns regular troops, the sons, the bazooka troops. Now I unlock the tank area and you just have that incentive to keep unlocking things as kind of the base thing to then see what new monsters you're going to face. Yeah, so I'll start off by saying I kind of lost my patience with clickers. I, I just don't play them. They seem like I, I usually regret how much time I wasted with them afterwards. But this one, I did. I, I haven't seen any of the, the last most recent Godzilla movie, uh, so I obviously haven't seen the one that's just about to come out yet. Uh, but I do like the character of Godzilla, and I really like how they portrayed all the, the various uh, monsters from the various movies, and I do like that whole collectible card 
thing where now you have this card that you can play and they kind of boost your your shots. But to me, the game felt like all I did was sit there and tap as many fingers as I could fit on my screen as possible, just as fast as I can. My arm was starting to hurt just to try to take out as many enemies as I could, then upgrade, 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 upgrade. So you're getting more points for each or more money for each tap that you do. And then you can upgrade and then hopefully maybe unlock the tanks or unlock uh, additional place for your soldiers to come out. I don't know. It's not the type of game I'm going to continue with. I did think they did a nice job of putting it together. If you like these types of games, uh, then I think you'll like the whole theme of it. And it's just like graphically well put together. I did like how the different enemies did kind of have slightly different attacks. And every once in a while you could lay a special hit on them that would kind of stop them from using their special attack. Uh, But I think if you're not a fan of clickers, I don't know that this is really going to change your mind unless you're some major Godzilla fan then probably you'd probably still enjoy it but I, I don't know this is going to change people's opinion of clickers oh it it definitely doesn't it falls into the familiar trappings of clicker games especially because the clicks aren't varied at all it's never changes it's always just you're spawning troops the other more upgraded towers essentially your clicking has no impact on the bazooka guys or the tanks or anything like that. Those spawn at the rate depending on how far it's upgraded. So it's that kind of thing. Tap repeatedly, upgrade, tap some more, upgrade. You need to keep upgrading to get to a certain tier to be capable to defeat certain items. But with that said, I'm a big Godzilla fan, so I enjoyed the whole Godzilla aspects <laughs> of it. And I enjoyed how I could see the direct correlation between my tapping and defeating enemies. I do, yeah, you do see those physical representations of your taps on the screen. Uh, the thing, one thing that was a little weird, which I thought they would use more, is the whole swiping. So right when the thing is about to die, you're just swiping on it like crazy. I wish they would vary, like, your attacks. Like, maybe a swiping does one thing, but a tapping does another thing, to at least give you something different. But yeah, like you said, it's just, all you're doing is deploying troops, troops, troops. Like, there's not much different than I could see. I, I didn't get too far into the game, but uh, as far as I could tell, it seemed like it was pretty much the same thing. Yep. I, I was just surprised that I enjoyed it. I don't think I'm going to play it much past this podcast, but I did enjoy <laughs> it for the time I did spend with it. And you know, Bitcoin Billionaire and Space Plan are my top two clicker games yeah. ever, but then there was a tower defense-based clicker game that I really enjoyed, and this kind of reminded me of it where you see that specific payoff of your tapping to action but again the clickers just don't really resonate with me this is probably the closest i'm ever going to get to getting back into any type of clicker games yeah until they have like a a pop figure one right Nah, (laughs) because then it would feel like cookie clicker or something it would have to be i like the action sequences of it i like the whole defense or combat based on it true true it does feel like you're doing more than just tapping to earn money fake money Virtual yeah yeah <laughs> so that's godzilla defense force be sure to see godzilla king of the monsters in theaters and <laughs> godzilla defense force is free it's universal and then to round out the week is hashtag drive which is an endless driving game where essentially you tap on the left or right side of the screen to maneuver your car down the road you dodge traffic and then you'll need to go and pick up gas tanks Cops will get on your tail. You can pick up donuts to kind of throw them off your trail. And then there's special bonuses you can also pick up. But essentially, the entirety of the game is weaving left and right for as long as you can. Yeah, and even... I I, I did like the graphics in this. Oh, but it looks great, yeah. Yes, but weaving left and right, your car doesn't even handle that well to move left and right, to, to like squeeze into these tiny little openings to get the various gas, to go to the gas station or go to the mechanic to fix your car if there's damage on it. You're going to die early, die often. Uh, I did have a couple of longer runs, but overall, I just found this game terribly boring. Yeah, so you can upgrade your car. Essentially, the more you play, you'll earn these bottle caps. You can spend them to unlock new cars or upgrade your existing cars with better handling and controls. But I did that. I I was like, okay, I'm going to do this just to see if my perception of the game is off because of this introductory car. And I unlocked the second car. It handles a little better, but the game is just as boring. And that's really the problem. There's no compelling 
aspects of this game at all. It's so super repetitive. It's really tough to keep going. The only incentive I had was that I wanted to get far enough in the game so I could have a definitive point to make here on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, so... I'm thinking, okay, the cop is chasing me. This is going to be fun. This is going to be like the chase games that are good. And no, this wasn't. And then, okay, I'm missing something because this was featured by Apple. And like, <laughs> this has got to be good. Something's good. I'm like, no, nope, nope. It's just as boring. You know, like, I, I don't even understand what that break button at the top of the screen is even for. Like, I, I, I I've, I've used the brakes on the car, but it only stops temporarily. It, it starts going right away. So say you're about to run into something, you slam the brakes, and then it lurches forward and it crashes anyway. So the brake button doesn't help anyway. Okay, yeah, it's because they showed you at the beginning, and I'm like, why would I ever want to stop? Because usually there's a cop chasing you, and you're just swerving left and right, and eventually they give up or something. Like, I've never had them actually catch me unless I crashed into the car in front of me, and then they had a reason to catch me. But Or I ran out of gas was usually what happened, because it was too tough to get into the gas station. But, yeah, I don't know. It's some variety, and, like, they have different scenes but there's really no variety to the game. Like, I wish they would add some some ver- some kind of variety to it. And really, that left and right controls shouldn't be as bad as they are. I don't know what it is. They're just off. If you play a game like Reckless Getaway and the car moves precisely as you expect it to, and then you go and play this game, it's like, I upgraded the handling. That's not the problem. It's just the left-right controls aren't sensitive enough it's like you need a sensitivity slider to crank it up so your car is just lurching from side to side of the road and everything seems on a slower pace just the entire game you know it supposedly amps up when you reach these new destinations but it just doesn't really at least not for me i I was super bored see i did think it handled maybe it was just in my mind i thought it handled a little bit better once i upgraded the car but uh, yeah, the car handles the initial better. Car, it, it still is just heavy. It, it's like yeah, it feels too heavy, and it feels almost like like you're turning like a whole block. Like it has no actual good turn radius on this car. It feels like the whole car moves to that direction, not like you're turning the front of a car like any real car. It's just like you're shifting the whole thing, or maybe it's just moving so slowly as it turns that it feels like you're never gonna be able to really turn into these sharper turns to get into these stations and things yep so that's hashtag drive it's free it's universal and i think that's everything for episode 104 yep that's all i got brett thanks for joining a pleasure as always to everyone listening if you enjoy what you're listening to be sure to leave us a review on itunes we really appreciate it it helps us and follow us throughout the week for updates on all kinds of app goodies and stay tuned to next week so this is trevor signing out talk to you later bye